and welcome. It's Joshi 2010's episode 41. We're here for another episode. I am JD. Thank you, everyone. If you're joining on the Patreon, patreon.com slash redleafretrocast. As always, thank you so much for subscribing. And if you want to subscribe, there you go. It's the Joshi 2010's tier. And then at the $5 tier, the Jaguar Nagayo tier, you get LLPW. The ongoing <laughs> live five-star reviews as they go up on Stardom World. And many more. And for this episode, it is the 2011 end of year. And if you recall, and if, you've, if you're listening on the All Japan Women Destiny podcast site, getting these a uh, little later as they come out, hey, consider subscribing. But I hope you've also listened to all of the episodes across 2011 and especially that Neo Stage Door 2010 episode, which concluded 2010. And this is our second year completion, 41 episodes in. We're doing Ribbon Mania from Ice Ribbon, their uh, biggest show of the year. Uh, that happens at the end of each year, of course. This might be a theme going forward. Now that Neo is done and Ice Ribbon seems to have the latest show across the Joshi scene. Rip and Mania might become the annual tradition, quote-unquote annual, uh, for us covering the year-end. And the way this is going to work is I'm just going to go over Rip and Mania, how we got to that point, and then I will transition into more or less a year-in-review, and what this year had meant in the Joshi scene, maybe some news that had come out, maybe some lessons learned, uh, some talent and then naturally I <laughs> it wouldn't be a year-end review without kind of matches of the year wrestlers of the year some notable names and more so let's not waste any time here because you have heard the Hikaru Shida AEW theme the Shining Samurai theme she had for a number of years I believe even before AEW but she's gonna she's gonna become a very uh, focused wrestler across the scene uh, going forward, and 2011 was a major breakout year for her. If you recall in 2010, and I, I will repeat this as we go on, if you recall in 2010, especially at the start of this journey, way back, you'll listen to former co-host Kay, and I discuss how like rough she was. She wasn't very good, uh, and then across 2010, as we covered more Ice Ribbon shows, she did some jobs outside of the company in the scene, and her and Tsukasa Fujimoto in particular developed in different ways. Tsukasa was put over very strong by Emi Sakura, and she was immediately thrown into the deep end as ace of the company, uh, because across the year and 2011, there's a lot of signs that Emi Sakura <laughs> is taking a step back. Which is weird, because in 2009, she won the Tokyo Sports Wrestler of the Year Award. She was very focused on that. And she's doing things like not being the focal point in the company. She's trying to get more or less her protégés over, her prime uh, subjects, if you will. She's doing more big matches outside of her own company. And it sure, it sure felt like perhaps she's going freelance or spreading her wings a little bit. But there's a lot to Emi Sakura more than meets the eye, at least in the case of how she wants to run a promotion and what her goals were for a promotion. 
And on that subject, kind of pivoting away from the improvement of Tsukasa Fujimoto and Hikaru Shida, let's focus on Emi Sakura for a second here. Because before this show, there was a reveal, if you will. And we've been hinting at this and, and talking about it for quite some time. But here we go. Uh, and I have an old article I can pull up here, and I have pulled up. This is very interesting. It's uh, from a blog called uh, uh, Frank. His name's Frank. And he was he was very much covering the scene uh, in the Dark Ages and into about, I want to say he stopped in about 2014. But I'm going to use his blog a lot probably going forward. Uh, more or less because old blogs and old and people that used to cover the scene like this are also quite rare in how extensive they were and throw out their thoughts and see what they thought in real time as events like this happened. So I'm going to read this uh, for you guys, and it's very uh, it's very informative and interesting from what uh, people like him thought at the time. So here we go. After Sunday's Ice Ribbon Show, company owner Emmy Sakura said that she would have a big announcement on January 7th. This is in 2012. The whole thing was supposed to be kept a secret, but Tsukasa Fujimoto appeared on Samurai TV and spilled the beans. Emmy Sakura plans to quit as Ice Ribbon Booker, and Emmy later revealed on Ustream, that's an old uh, paid streaming service, that she is turning the company over to former Neo President. Tetsuya Koda. <laughs> How about that? Uh, Fujimoto was very upset with Emmy and suggested that maybe she should just shut the company down. Uh, I'm not particularly surprised that Emmy wants out. For all the mistaken perception of Ice Ribbon's success, Emmy was clearly uncomfortable with the company's growth. She knew she needed to change the direction of Ice Ribbon if she wanted to... If, if she wanted to continue to grow, the company would need to operate more professionally. But Emmy started Ice Ribbon as an after-school division for preteen girls, and she, and she was... It clearly affected Ice Ribbon's bottom line. They run too many shows in front of too few fans, and the in-ring work is spotty at best. For every Hikaru Shida who turns out to be pretty good, there are a host of young girls who will simply never be any good in the ring and shouldn't be wrestlers in the first place. Oh, ouch, man. <laughs> uh, she couldn't have it both ways. And as we saw Makoto, the chances that most of these girls will leave Ice Ribbon for greener pastures is quite high. And that has to hurt Emmy. She founded Ice Ribbon and trained all these girls. So will the rats leave the sinking ship? Will they work for Koda? Remember that his... Inability to produce new talent is the main reason Neo closed. It's obviously not a good situation. Even if Emi Sakura says Ice Ribbon will continue, what if all the wrestlers get together and simply quit? I wonder how final this decision really is. Of course, Emi will continue as an active wrestler. She just doesn't want to be a company owner anymore. So as we know, she moves on and starts a company from scratch yet again called Gato Move. And a number of wrestlers from Ice Ribbon leave with her. So an exodus, if you will. This is, these are my words now at this point. Uh, we also know that uh, Coda 
uh, sells the company yet again. So I'm going to go to Cage Match here because I believe it has the exact dates in which the company was turned over again. Yes. So uh, in 2012, uh, Tetsuya Koda leaves the company <laughs> quite fast. He be he he does end up becoming the booker of uh, TJPW that starts off thanks to Sanjiro Takagi, uh, the runner of DDT and whatnot. Uh, and Hajime Sato comes in in 2012 and takes over. So Koda is not long for Ice Ribbon. So I'll try to do more research on what happens there with Koda. I do have the Ice Ribbon book I can I can pull up here, but that'll be in 2012. For now, Emi Sakura is stepping away. He's taking over. And we're going to see some very questionable uh, decisions here in the early parts of 2012 in, in which uh, particular wrestlers end up leave. Uh, Ray is a very uh, important figure that leaves the company. Uh, and Or as in the contract runs out. So yeah, uh, Emi Sakura is stepping down and there's a, there's a lot to go into that. So uh, very, f- very interesting that the former operator of Neo uh, is the one to take over. And Neo is going to be another subject here as we go to the end of year awards uh, for all this for 2011. Let's get into the show. Ice Ribbon Ribbon Mania 2011, December 25th, 2011, also known as Ice Ribbon number 355, took place from Cork and Hall in attendance of 894, which... You know, relatively speaking, par for the course of the time, uh, you know, we're not breaking a thousand. It's nothing special. Uh, We're just under 900. Uh, You would definitely I mean, that's that's pretty much average for the era, I would say. Uh, You know, some companies doing better, some companies doing less in the Joshi scene. It's you know, this is their biggest show of the year. We'll call it a loose success. But with a company in such turmoil. And as I've discussed uh, with uh, occasional co-host JPQ from PWI and his various other ventures, that when we covered kind of the state of the tag titles and what was going on, there's a lot of fluctuations within the company and how they're utilizing uh, people from outside the company. Well, let's get into this first match because it's Toshi Yamatsu against Aoi Kizuki. And if you know a lot about Ice Ribbon, this name really jumps out to you. It's someone who is in Ice Ribbon prior and becomes kind of a big deal later. Well, this was her return match for Aokizuki here to Ice Ribbon for the first time in almost three years at this point. And uh, they're putting her in the opener against a veteran talent, it's Toshiyamatsu, and putting on a good match is how you reintroduce someone that you want to clearly do something with. Uh, on the other hand, it is the opener, and as the Josie Seed tends to delve into, they work a lot of comedy, especially in Ice Ribbon. Ice Ribbon is very much, uh, th- this is how they operate. Undercard is a little comedy. Midcard, you might get some talent uh, trying to establish themselves, and we'll get to a couple matches here later where it is Ice Ribbon's MO to operate the way they do. And perhaps that stems a lot from the ways of Emi Sakura and how to operate and to, well, operate in a boundary, if you will. So they can't help themselves. Umatsu is smiling, having a good time, brushing off the goofiness Kizuki is bringing. Uh, Kizuki's throwing her hands in the air. She's laughing. She's slapping Umatsu's butt. She's doing chops on the butt. Uh, 
It's all just fun and games. Now, on the positive side to this, QZ comes across as an immediate babyface, super easy to root for. You know, the big smile is infectious, a uh, bit tall comparatively, 5'4", uh, good shape, uh, can move well in the ring. All the signs you want to look for in someone to move up the card. So th- this is all by design. And this is a case where Kizuki coming back after so long goes, ag- goes up against an established mid-carder. And it was an even matchup until the end. Uh, she didn't put her in, you know, they're not putting her in there with uh, Mako Satomura where she's just going to have a seven-minute match and kick her and pin her. You know, this is Toshi Yamatsu, whom we've grown to learn more, much more about at this stage of her career in 2010, 2011, that, yeah, most likely in this case, she's going over, that's fine, but she's going to give him a lot, and that's what we saw here. It's very 50-50, uh, and Kizuki attempts a roll-up, but gets countered, Numatsu gets the win off this. Hey, I gave this one out of three. I think it's worth a watch. Uh, you will immediately figure out who Al Kizuki is. The match is only 10 minutes. Uh, there's a lot There's a lot to like taken away from this match. And for someone who's just coming back after a hiatus, she had a couple, uh, according to uh, Cage Match, which is a very good site to use, uh, she had a couple matches prior to this, probably kind of inspiration to her getting back, and now she's back with Ice Ribbon. Hey, and with an exodus, having people like an Aokizuki come back into the fold fills in the voids that are going to be left behind here. So I give it a thumbs up, and it's planning for the future. Comparatively, let's compare it to Ice Ribbon right now, because that, that has also been a rolling theme across 2011 as they prepare for the exodus and they know it's coming i mean it was a secret within the company uh and they don't know how they i'm sure they know whom all is leaving and maybe a couple are kind of in they're indecisive right now uh but there's clear signs that uh people are being pushed there's a long-term story of someone staying with the company and they're bringing people back Compare. Let's compare it to, you know, the end of 2021, where they clearly knew a bunch of people were going to leave, and there was clearly no plan to move people up the card. The plan was Sakushi, and Sakushi's on this card too, but little did they know what the company struggles and kind of the indecisiveness of the owner. People call it a day. And with a company in flux like that, there's got to be, and I've said this on RLL proper, there's got to be a plan in place and a movement in place in case you do stay in business, so then you can stay in business and much longer. And we're starting to see signs of the company. uh, Here's how this usually works. Twofold twofold over-under. Either the company simply implodes and there's no saving, or... There's a gained interest and curiosity to what's going to happen, and that's what we did see with Ice Ribbon right now, with the retirements always gain traction and get good attendance if the people were popular within the company. Check. Uh, Crowning a new champion. Who's it going to be? Who's going to take over? That Connor's interest. Check. And then it's directly after that. Okay, if you've had your people built up, then there's going to be good signs, or you have your champion that you have has some 
following within the scene of a certain amount and popularity within the fan base. Because there could be a situation, which I'm really floating the theory around now, that Sauriano, and I'm still talking about this this present time upon recording, that you can question how much the Ice Ribbon fan base sees her as and how much fans she actually has as a freelancer. And we know that freelance status only carries so much weight. Uh, We can see that firsthand with the Nomads venture that's going on currently. And then the kind of first couple big shows that Ice Ribbon have ran, and their attendance isn't great. So, again, this, this comparison between 2011, now heading into 2012, with modern Ice Ribbon is very relevant to the conversation. We will continue to have this. So, Aokizuki here is coming back. We've had Tsukasa Fujimoto and Hikaru Shida really making waves to be established main eventers, and then we got a growing mid-card. Okay, all good signs. Now think about that same comparison to now. Ask yourself, have they done a good job of doing that? Who is actually being put into positions of relevance? And then who's actually going over when put in these positions? These are all factors to think about when you're truly looking. Oh, and how they're getting put over, if they are. If it's roll-ups, people kicking out at three, uh, tag matches where the veteran accidentally hits their own partner and it ends with a move or roll-up, these aren't going over. Like, going over is what we're going to see in the main event here. I'll move on with the card. A trios elimination match. Uh, Maki Narumiya, Miri Naito, Nekonita defeat Dorami Nagano, Kurumi, and Mochi Miyagi. So all names we're kind of familiar with at this point in 2011. But uh, what I got out of this was two things. Team Mochi, no good. <laughs> Dorami is still very rookie mode. Mochi is also a rookie, but is... Knockoff, out of shape, Hamako, comedy, Hoshi, and Kurumi is still a child learning. You know, everyone has their own senses of potential, but this is also what the blog spoke about, is it's a lot of people that, eh, let's say, play wrestling. You know, maybe they're not meant to be wrestlers in the first place, but this, this is how this company operates. Is it going to be something wrestling fans are interested in? That's a, uh, that's another aspect to look at. And if we, again, co- let's compare this match to who's in Ice Ribbon now in kind of a similar fashion, where do you think a lot of these wrestlers that are debuting and a lot of these wrestlers that, you know, show X potential, are they meant to be wrestling main eventers or at least contribute to the main event? And a lot of people in this match, you kind of look at it and you go, no, not really. And that's what the blog was talking about. So I got to it's, it's things to pay attention to. But uh, on the other hand, Team Narumia, this team has very charismatic Nekonita. Still needs a lot of work in the ring, which is fine. That develops. Uh, Mary Naito looks to have some potential. I guess we'll see. And Maki or Narumia, this is a future star of the pro- promotion. Okay. Uh, once the sticks and licks were out of the way from the first half, it was off to the races as the Narumiya show began. 
Uh, she just went on a tear, showing off her unique set of athletic moves, how quickly she's picking things up. It's very nice to see. Her debut was in March of 2011. That's earlier this year. Uh, another good sign is she is already being established, and she has established put-away moves, most notably is the mid-rope leg lariat. Uh, I guess many other wrestling fans might know it as, like, the radio silence or the Zack Ryder move. Uh, top rope leg drop she also has, which is a classic. And, uh, of course, Emmy is leaving Ice Ribbon. Decent chunk of the roster is out. And I are across this year have established their main event. And now these two first two matches, you clearly, clearly have an idea up and coming between, say, Kizuki, Narumiya. And I'll throw in Nekonita in there because there's clearly some sense of popularity in a mid-card standpoint to like. Uh, okay, so here's the here's a match where it's usually pure comedy skip town. Uh, it is... Well, it's Hamako Hoshi, Rei, Saiko Obihiro, uh, boy, that's a trio, against and defeat Deathworm, Kapakozo, and Rubberman. Mm-hmm. Pure comedy yet again, just the most indie level stuff you can imagine as it's this weird villainous group with the hot chick leader. Look, we've seen this group before as they lose, uh, yeah, after large amounts of ha-has. I uh, really wish they had better stuff for Ray to do than this at Ribbon Mania. And you know what? Hamako too. Like, they can't have a singles match instead of a match like this. So, tag champion and pretty good title matches or whatever on the biggest show of the year. It's it's almost like it's self-sabotage to keep the company from growing. Uh, that's really how it comes across. So, <clears throat> next we get, it's Retirement Road. Okay, so it's Riho defeats Sena. It's a singles match with special referee Minori Makiba. It's a it's hey, look, these are two sisters. Yes, Riho, you know, from AEW, Ice Ribbon Fandom, Gato Move, whatever. Look, it's she's 14 and she's facing off her against her sister, Sena, who's 17. And uh, with the exodus, Sena's retiring, I assume. Uh, wrestling was on the side, and now that with all this discourse in the company and Emi Sakura, she's maybe she'll go. She went to college or something. It's not really worth looking up at that point. Why? Point is, she's retiring. Uh, match wise, it was about the level of a Hanan versus Rina match without the judo. Uh, they never let up let up the pace. Riho wins with a uh, roll up if, of sorts, but she's put over. Point is, and Minori Makiba is also retiring. So they do the retirement ceremonies, and then it's, uh, and you got Makari Manami, your former champion, ringside, and she's just in tears. So now it's her turn to get in the ring. Riho's now the referee, and it's Hikari Manami against Senna. And Hikari is just in tears. She can't speak during the retirement promos. She gives it away. Huge crocodile tears just everywhere. And then they finally start the match, and they just go real hard for three minutes. It's almost like Hikari and Senna were taking out all their frustrations on each other, just hard-thumping forearms and kicks to the face. Hikari hits the cutie special to win. They kind of beat the shit out of each other for three minutes. It was pretty cool. <laughs> and then more retirement ceremonies. Everyone's done. We go on. Mid-card over. And then we get to uh, the second best match on the show. It's International Ribbon tag titles on the line of course they're vacant we've gone over this in past episodes a whole tag tournament was was made for a show 
and then they were vacated and oh, it's such a mess. So here they are. They're vacated for the like the fourth time since July, uh, which is crazy because if you look at the Ice Cross Infinity title, their main title, it's only been vacated three times in its entire history. While the tag titles get vacated constantly. I know it's more people, injuries, what have you, but there's ways you can work around these things. So anyways, now in a vacuum, this match is pretty awesome. Takushi is only like 14 years old here, but her improvement and rub from Manami Toyota across 2011, she is an instant hint hit with the IR fan base, and she can deliver in the ring as proof here in this match, keeping up with her vari- with the variety of people that are in. You got Sakura, Satomura, and Sendai Sachiko. So it's Emi Sakura and Sakushi taking on Mako Satomura and Sendai Sachiko. Uh, Sachiko has vastly improved across 2011 as well, as we saw in that tag tournament. It's a great example of that. Uh, has proved to be one of the best tag workers in the scene, and together with uh, her sister Dash Chisako, very dynamic and fun team to watch. Uh, they remind me a lot of the chemistry that Ran Yu and Dumatsu have. So maybe not singles main eventers, at least at this point in time, but can run across the scene doing cool tags all the time as they continue to develop. I see no problem with that. Now, the match itself, while great, here's what held it back from going full three. You know, three out of three recommendation. The full you-must-watch type stuff. Maybe if you go by Big Dave star ratings, maybe you want to consider that a four-star match or higher, a notebook, a match guide, what have you. I go full three. I've Hey, I've thought there's three and a half star matches that I think are worth full threes, depending on how you look at it. But anyways, two things. This match was clearly built as Sendai versus Ice Ribbon. So when the bell rings, all the focus and the crowd is right there with me is on Mako Satomura versus Emi Sakura. That is the true Sendai versus Ice Ribbon matchup. And there certainly was not enough of that in this match. Uh, The other was that Mako was not on her money game here. She had no interest in selling for Sakushi, only wanted the bully stretcher on the mat, which is typical Mako type match when she's not getting that main event <laughs> money grab, I guess. But it's it's very veteran vo- versus rookie uh, type match ma- making there. And this match did not call for that, in my opinion. It was not the right time and place. What it was, was to put Sakushi over, even at a young age, as someone that you can get behind and take somewhat seriously. Which is weird considering she's 14. But this is the position they put themselves in and want to use going forward and Sakushi does appear older com- uh, comparatively to say Riho she's not she doesn't look 18 that's not what I'm or 17 even as Senna was in in the early part of the match but anyways before I get in trouble with that the point the point is she's 14 they're putting her over uh, now where it greatly exceeded was the absolute fire Emmy and Sachiko had throughout the bout Emmy was smiling after uh, their initial exchange, heading right up to her butting heads, immediately established the fight and energy these two were going to have. This is how you put a matchup over. Uh, near the latter half of the match, we finally got our Emmy Mako trade-off, and this did go off uh, for a good couple minutes. Kicks, chops, crowd popping. And then we hit the home stretch. Sakura does hit this big 450 splash on Satomura during the final minutes that takes her out. Sachiko almost pins Sakushi with just this super high angle German suplex that if you've watched Chihiro Hashimoto hit her 
big Heingel German. It looks very similar to this. Uh, but Sakushi kicks out of this. Sachiko hits a thrust thrust kick on both opponents. And uh, so Emmy kind of takes uh, takes a little bit more of that offense and Sakushi recovers. She hits that Harukaze for the pinfall victory over Sachiko. Huge pop from the crowd. New tag champions. And I will cut to the chase. Uh, they vacate these titles <laughs> like in a week. Uh, it's at that January 7th announcement that Sadamore is leaving. So the titles are gone. There you go. Donchiko Dino, Makoto Oishi defeat Hikari Minami and Kanoka and Jun Kasai and Miyako Matsumoto. Uh, trios three-way tag here, or uh, not trios, but three-way tag match. This was insert any Gunbare cross DDT match ever. If you're into the Shindy vibe and just can't get enough of Dino or Miyako, then hey, be entertained. Uh, this means nothing to me. Dino and Oishi wins. Uh, it's low-level stuff, and here it is in the semi-main event. Uh, I consider it, I guess, more embarrassing, and uh, it's not productive for the company to do matches like this. Uh, especially with, so you got you got the uh, the comedy costume act in the mid card, and then this in your semi main, while it's above something like the tag titles. I don't I don't agree with these these things. Uh, does it does more damage to the company than trying to put your future stars over? Uh, again, you can't have like a Hamako Hoshi Ray singles match to determine who the first challenger is or something. Like, let's do something special here. If you if you want to do if you want to do matches like the costume and the and you know this this Dino Kanoka thing, then save that stuff. Save that stuff for KFC Hall. You know, you're at Cork and Hall. You got your largest audience. Let's get people to want to see these shows in the future. But maybe I'm a little bit harsh. Uh, and as for the main event, it's Tsukasa Fujimoto, your Ice Cross 60 champion, taking on Hikaru Shida. And yes, Muscle Venus collide. And this is a huge culmination of the year, of two years. Tsukasa Fujimoto got put over by Emi Sakura in 2010. Hikaru Shida had the journey across 2010, getting better in the ring, working hard, getting in shape, getting a clear fan base support behind her. Uh, ending 2010 with the big Yoshiko Tamura match. I believe I went full three on that. Uh, and she wasn't meant to win that match. What she was meant to do was get put over in losing, which she did. Uh, <laughs> Yoshiko Tamura was put over or should have put over. Kurihara, but that's went over that in a previous Neo uh, recap in a, an episode or two ago. Uh, but for 2011, Hikaru Shida, you know, she beat Shuri, someone who's very much on the up and coming uh, in in Smash. Went over that. Uh, had the big tag title match with Shuri against Emi Sakura and company. Hikaru Shida across 2011 has proven herself worthy of being a main eventer, at least in this company. So when we got to this match, there's always, and I speak about this all the time, but when a match like this in the bell rings, you feel the aura, you feel the support. You yourself have the support for a wrestler. And Sheeta, in the context of this match, if you go in and, and you look at this match in 
just the context of it's an Ice Cross 60 title match. It's at Cork and Hall, Ice Ribbon. You go, eh, in ring. It was, it was good, but it's not top level. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, this is why we do a lot of these things in order of events. How has Sheeta improved? I mean, I could have just done Ice Ribbon for like six episodes across the decade and then call it a day. But here we've seen her work across the scene within Ice Ribbon across these two years. And when this bell rings, you definitely feel the crowd support for Sheeta. And yeah, you wish the crowd was a little louder in, in, por- in points, but you only get this match also when you, you have established Tsukasa Fujimoto in this sense, because in the two years, she's been established as the main eventer to beat. It's not like Emi Sakura for sure because of her veteran status and and respect, but she's taken a step back across this company in the year. You know, she's she's doing more important matches in JWP. You know, the focus has been Fujimoto. So this is the boss to beat, if you will. And for Shida to come into this match and Fujimoto to put on the match they did, where it was just good back and forth, hitting all their key moves. They're not doing Spanish flies from the top. They're not they're not those kinds of wrestlers. They're wrestlers that have their own unique styles that they've developed. And the crowd knows it. She does more of a power wrestler. She has her knee strikes. Fujimoto is very counter counter heavy with uh, hard kicks on the ground and her unique spinning offense, we'll call it. It's nothing overly flashy, but they hit it at key times in the match that really gets you to bite properly. And I have a smile on my face as I'm talking about this because... Look, I went two out of three. I was really thinking three out of three. And that's where the ring game just slightly misses out on that for me. Because I know they have a better match in them. And I know that they're getting better. So a lot of this two out of three, almost three, is legit how much the match means. How much it means in context. How much it means to a fan that's watching it. And how much you've invested in the wrestlers involved, especially in this case, Sheeta. And I, I admit, I'm a big Hikaru Sheeta fan, and this is my first time seeing this match, and it lives up to it. And it's very, it's very difficult for wrestling promotion to build something up like this. And we're not talking. Here's the other thing: we're not talking four years down the line. You know, it's not a four-year journey. It was one year develop, one year build. It happened in context very quickly. Yes, Sheeta uh, debuted years prior, but there is such a thing as, okay, we you can't just push somebody into the main event. You have to let them develop. But you can push them in other ways. You know, tag title matches, uh, uh, respect-driven matches with, uh, you know, you're beating other mid-carders kind of deal. Uh, you're getting titles in other places, perhaps. You're, you're still relevant to the promotion, and sticking with 2010 and 2011 here, the build for Shida and the build for Fujimoto have been as good as you can get in the context of this promotion. You know, outside of them going to other promotions and beating other, like, upper mid-carders, which you understand why other companies kind of don't want to do that. You know, we're not seeing Shida show up in JWP and beating Hanako Nakamori. You know, but you were seeing Tsukasa Fujimoto showing up in JWP and beating their undercarders. 
that is okay. You know, you're she's not being beaten and she's not beating them. This is this is that quick pro quick pro, pro quo quo. Ah, getting tongue tied. So there's good counters in this. Uh, and here's the big here's the big kicker. Okay. Sheeta hits a top rope falcon arrow after all this build of hitting power moves and uh, some some good near falls. She hits a top rope falcon arrow, a move we've never seen before. It's a huge move, definitive. She pins her one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Fujimoto lays there. It's what you want to see in putting someone over strong. This is what you come to see. This is how you put over your next main eventer and champion going forward. It's definitive in the middle. That is putting someone over. And I can't stress that enough. Sheeta is your main eventer heading into the new year on the uh, after the biggest show of the year for the company. It's a win situation. And it's one of the best moments in the Joshi scene across 2011. So in that context, full marks. <laughs> All right. So let's... I, you know what? I should play another drop here since now I'm going to transition into uh, the year in review. So how about that? Uh, let me find my drop and here we go. All right, 2011 year in review. Here we go. The best companies across 2011. Uh, I think if you've seen how everything's been covered and what's going on, it's uh, it's Wave and JWP. Uh, Wave has the freelancers, the best use. They had the best wrestlers, i.e. Kana, Ayumi Kurihara, among others. Yumi Oka's there. I know Gami's still wrestling, but... Hey, there's some ups and downs for everybody. JWP probably has the most complete roster between up-and-coming veteran status and uh, what they were able to accomplish uh, across the year. I would personally put JWP as the top promotion followed by Wave. Because uh, JWP, I think, had uh, the best booking across the scene with... Um, uh, what Leon was able to do at the beginning half of the year and then what Haley Hatred was able to do uh, in the back half of the year, along with Kaori Yoniyama and that episode where she retired, uh, sort of, along with uh, a good tag scene with um, Tsubasa Kuragaki and Hariyama. There was a lot of good stuff JWP did across the year. Uh, Wave had Catch the Wave. I thought that was a good tournament. Uh, Kana won it. They introduced tag titles with, um, I think the show of the year was the DualShock Wave final. Really enjoyed that with Kana and Kurihara. Um, what was the, what is the, I think they have a, I can't remember their tag team name, but those were the clear top two. In the middle, I'm gonna put Smash in there just because of their women's scene and what was covered there with Shuri Kana. Um, you had a uh, Ray in her like goofy heel form, uh, and you had Serena Deeb coming in and having a good program there. You also had Tomika Watanabe, so the, from a work rate 
standpoint, uh, Smash was uh, doing well for a company trying to integrate a women's division. Um, Ice Ribbon, I've enjoyed the context of their year. Uh, yes, it's a, it's much lower level wrestling, but the booking, I think, is also solid, at least in the main event, kind of, sort of, definitely on the lower end of that middle. Uh, but the definitive middle is, is Oz Academy. And that's interesting because in 2010, I would have put them among the best uh, with uh, Neo in how they were able to put on main events. Uh, draw crowds and just an overall interest in work rate standpoint. Now, the booking wise <laughs> it leaves a lot to be desired. While I think JWP and Wave were trying to then at that point establish their rosters and transition from out of the dark age into the roster we had now. So they kind of flip flopped there. Obviously, Neo not around anymore. And the worst. The freelance scene and uh, Sendai Girls. Uh, Sendai Girls, of course, still recovering from the earthquake. A lot of their shows don't make tape. And they're not putting on a lot of shows either. They're also not developing talent. A lot to be left desired. So we also got new ventures. Uh, Out of the ashes of Neo, Kyoko Inoue starts Diana. They had, I thought, a kind of a failure of a first show and we haven't heard from them since and if i'm not mistaken um that this is it's either it's either in late 2011 or early 2012 nagisa nozaki gets fired from diana uh and she goes to wrestling new classic which is what happens out of the ashes of smash and uh, I read an article. I don't know how true it is. Can't really confirm, but allegedly Kyoko Inoue straight up fires Nag- Nagisa Nozaki from Diana from not showing up to a show. Uh, as we can probably <laughs> decipher from past uh, grievances in Nozaki, she's got a lot of mental issues at this time. I went over that in a past episode with uh, abuse, spousal abuse, or and... Um, Injuries, just straight up injuries. She's injured all the time coming back uh, due to the environment. A uh, lot to be desired there. So, uh, but stardom, let's get it. Let, let's talk a little stardom in 2011. Uh, started by Fuka, the Hatman, Rossi Ogawa, and Nanai Takahashi and friends. Uh, there's a clear movement for Yuzuki Aikawa, a very popular gravure bikini model. Uh, she is the clear top champion. Uh, she was she was the one to establish first. She was the one that gets all the highlights. Uh, the white belt is the one that had its first defense. Uh, she is the focus of the promotion, despite the red belt on Nanai Takahashi being, quote unquote, the top title. Uh, we know based on featuring and highlights that it's actually Yuzuki Aikawa. And look, it's not. A top promotion, but one big move they did you do is sign Io Shirai. You know she has a huge impact. She had she you know in the first half of this year, Io Shirai and Triple Tails had a huge impact on the scene from a mid card standpoint. And then when Io Shirai signed with Stardom full time in that back half of the year, she was immediately established as a main eventer, and they needed that. That was a big influx because they have wrestlers on the low end that are just starting out and debuting. 
most notably among, well, Yuzuki Aikawa, who they have a belt on, Yoko Bito, Mayu Iwatani, and Arisa Hoshiki, whom, you know, they are rough around the edges, and Yoshiko. So stardom, a big upstart to pay attention to going forward. And of course, 10 years, more than 10 years later, we know where they are. But in the concept of 2011, JWP and Wave, your top, your best, Oz Academy really fallen off. And there's a lot of reasons for that in which we've gone over uh, in past episodes across 2011. So if you want to, honestly, you what you could do is listen to the Oz Academy shows in 2010, where speak more or less highly of, and where it kind of goes downhill for Oz Academy in 2011 is the injury and uh, uh, title vacation of Kaoru. Like, they put so much stock in her across essentially 2009 and 2010 for her to uh, blow out her, her Achilles, I believe was the injury, in that three-way. Uh, really put a damper in what Oz Academy was able to do for the rest of the year. And kind of there there was huge, clearly huge fallout uh, among that. And the fact that Oz Academy broke up their two best tag teams uh, for seemingly no reason. And because, you know, you know what? Uh, Toshiyamatsu, Ranyu Yu, Tomoko Nakagawa and Hiroyo Matsumoto, Sanako Kato. Like those people were so important for Oz Academy's work rate matches that when they broke them up the cards became so much less interesting and so did the tag titles uh, it, there became another increased focus on Mayumi Ozaki and uh, that company and the company has been in kind of just going through the motions ever since and that's kind of where they've fallen off uh as we move on, how about this? Top wrestlers of the year. So this is cool. Uh, the I got my top 10 here. So from 10 on up, 10 Natsuki Tayo, 9, and I have my little points here. So you can kind of see how far away they were uh, uh, relatively. But uh, 10, I have Natsuki Tayo at 19 points. Uh, Yumi Oka, I have at 9 at 20 points. Toshi Yamatsu uh, at 8, 22. Uh, Io Shirai um, at six. Wait. Oops. I started uh, much. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 10 is actually Hikaru Shida, 17. Ran Yuyu is at nine at 18. Natsuki Tayo uh, is next. Yumi Oka, Toshi Yamatsu. Io Shirai is number five. At 22, she gets a little higher for having more uh, high, more recommended matches four is Masaki Iwata and this kind of uh, shocked me but look she made uh, she made the catch the wave finals that was a big one 24 points Leon as number three that should come as no surprise 26 points and then these final two also should be no surprise Ayumi Kurihara 31 and then a easy first place is Kana with 46 points uh, look amount of work and going across the scene uh, I really liked what Umatsu and Ran Yuyu were able to do in 2011 compared to 2010. Now, you could say that Umatsu and Yuyu were more important to 2010 and were highlighted more, but in 2011, they were kind of on a tear in a different sense of in other companies. 
Like, because Oz Academy was more highlighted in 2010 as a top promotion, they were perceived as bigger and better, while they showed up a lot more in, like, the JWPs and Wave in uh, 2011. And that's where we covered more, honestly. Uh, they did more shows, and we saw more shows. So one more time. 10, Hikaru Shida, 9, Ran Yu, 8, Natsuki Tayo, 7, Yumioka, Yamatsu is 6, Yoshirai uh, 5, Ohada 4, Leon 3, Ayumi Kurihara 2, and Kana number 1. Now, ask yourself, who on that list has a top title in the promotion? There's only one. That was Hikaru Shida to end the year. Leon had the top title in JWP at the beginning of the year. Everyone else, big zero. And that should tell you enough about the scene right there. Wave doesn't have a title. Sendai doesn't have a title. Oz Academy's Miami Ozaki. Stardom is an upstart with Nanai Takahashi and Yuzuki Aikawa. So even the concept of importance and who's on top is absent. And to kind of compare from 2010, uh, Yoshiko Tomorrow was number one at uh, 33. So she would be number two this year. Ayumi Kawahara, number two. Emi Sakura, number three. And I spoke in the Ice Room review from Rumba Mania that she had really taken a, a big step back across 2011 compared to her 2010. So those are your... And I still have uh, some shows at hand from Neo uh, as well. But uh, your top matches of the year. So I I have tallied uh, the number of top matches reaching kind of full three in 2011 was was 11. And I think that has a lot to do with Neo. They were putting on main events and main events to watch and important to see, uh, as well as Oz Academy was also doing that. Um, Oz Academy had Carlos Amano on top and that built into Karu. And uh, so just those two promotions alone, uh, big time, right? But there was also only 55 matches that made the match guide. And I still have two Neo shows to watch. Can't stress that enough. Uh, the number of matches reaching full three in 2011, I only have nine. But when I compare it, I have a total of 112 matches that made the match guide in 2011. Why? JWP and Wave. A lot of young up-and-coming talent. You know, there's a lot of matches that got one and two stars out of there, obviously. In the, th the three-star, it's a lot of Leon and Kana. And how and and there was a there was a big lack of I guess I got more uh, particular and uh, maybe I got a little harsher in giving out the threes across 2011. But honestly, it was missing the big singles matches. It was missing the the aura, and it was also missing high level work rate from veterans. The veterans definitely took a step back. Yoshika Tamura retiring was a big step back. Uh, you're not. Emi Sakura took a big step back. Mako Satomura shows up like a fucking unicorn on a blue moon. <laughs> you know, uh, some matches just don't deliver to expectations. So take that for what it's will. And uh, matches of the year. Here we go. I'll start at number five. And this. The number five match of the year is Haley Hatred against Tsubasa Kurigaki. 
I you listen to that JWP uh, year end climax deal with um, uh, Yoniyama final. That match exceeded expectations, and I absolutely loved it. I think it's like Hoss match of the year, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Uh, Haley Hatred was very surprising to me across the year, and no, she's not the greatest in ring worker, but there's something about her in 2011 that just clicked. I thought. Uh, maybe I'm being overly optimistic and into her, but look, Subasa Kuragaki was right there across uh, 2011. And in fact, where did she finish in 2011 in the top? I, I feel like, yeah. So she just, um, I can't tell if it was because of Hariyama, her tag partner, or she just didn't. I think it had a lot to do with she just didn't have those big singles matches. She was in a lot of trios matches and tags that I wasn't into, but she's still, you know, she was right up there with uh, Mio Shirai, Shuri, Tomokanakagawa. She was right in that group. Um, the Nai Takahashi was there uh, as well, as much as I hate to admit it. Uh, where was I? Right, so if you want to look at that match, it's uh, JWP Climax 2011, December 23rd, Haley Hatred versus Subasa Kuragaki for the JWP Openweight title. Number four, JWP Mania X 2011. You know, you notice a lot of these matches are coming off their big shows of the year. It's Kaori Yama versus Leon, JWP Openweight title versus Neo High Speed title unification match. This was earlier in the year, and this kind of kickstarted Leon's uh, uh, J1 run, where she would defend either both titles or one of the uh, one of the other. And I believe this match, Yoniyama, did she? I think she came. She she was injured in this match, or injured shortly after, and that's what where the whole retirement thing began. And she was talking about it, or she just came back. One or the other. Uh, number three from Stardom X Stardom. It is July 24th, Leon versus Natsuki Tayo, the high speed title match. Uh, all these are full threes, by the way, <laughs> which is half of the ones I gave out uh, in 2011. But yeah, I mean, this is a must watch. Even uh, Kenny Omega himself loves this match. It's it's kind of a match that lives in Stardom infamy. It's very famous in the Stardom fan base. Uh, it is the match how the high-speed title was bought and brought over into Stardom, specifically for Natsuki Tayo, because she was never going to win that red belt or white belt from Nanai and Aikawa. She just doesn't have... Uh, you, well, Nanai is not putting over Tayo, and uh, Rossi... I mean, he's not booking Tayo as a main eventer. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But she needs something, and the high-speed title is a good thing to have for that. Number two, October... Th I Okay. For number one and two, I feel like I almost had to flip a coin, because I love these matches equally, and I just loved what they brought, but it, uh, I ended up deciding on... I ended up re-watching them, and I ended up deciding on uh, number two being from Wave Like a Virgin, October 30th, it is the Dual Shockwave final for the titles that they established. It's Ran Yuu and Toshimatsu taking on Ayumi Koriara and Kana. Go back and listen to that episode. Listen to JPQ and I just absolutely adore this match and love what they did. 
And number one, August 28th, also from Wave. It is their fourth anniversary show, Sail Away. It is the fifth show that they've done from that. It's Kana versus Ayumi Kurihara. Uh, in my opinion, the best singles match in 2011. Uh, and I believe there's a couple other blogs you can look at. And they also had this match as their number one match of 2011. And that's your 2011 year in review. A little bit shorter, but uh, you get some wrestler of the year. You get some top matches. You get my thoughts over what the promotions excelled at and what they were able to do across the year. Upstart Stardom came up. Ice Ribbon's kind of uh, going through some tough times right now. And Oz Academy's on the downswing. Uh, look, Neo going out of business affected a lot of this. It really did. We missed out on a lot of big main events. A lot of uh, we got some retirements, a lot of names out, people scattered uh, across the scene. So it left a lot to the devices of JWP and Wave and uh, Wave utilizing Kana as their main eventer was a very smart decision. Uh, that did kind of move Ayumi Kurihara out of a uh, position awkwardly, but she was also doing her produce shows and going to Mexico. And JWP really made a lot of strides in 2011. Uh, introducing the J1, doing a tag tournament, building up to a big show that made news. So that does it for 2011. You, I hope you enjoyed this one. We were two years in now. I can't wait to start 2012, and we're going to start it strong. I'll see you next time.